Was it funny trying to wait to talk about this film? You seem to be a bit of a chatterbox on your subway ride home. So it was. I was on the subway. I was just like mulling things over and I was like messaging you. I also don't know anyone else that's seen the film. And right. we didn't really get a chance to discuss it after. Which well, is I was, I was specifically <laughs> trying not to. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> not trying to be rude or nothing. But, no, 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 not at all. Man, I need. I just like need to mention it to to you now. Yeah. It's not, not even stuff that per se we would like talk about on the podcast, but like the window thing. Also, yeah. me like trying to figure out where I'd recognize Rory Kinnear. From. Yeah, I had things to do today, and I was trying to like you know clear up from yesterday to get ready for today. And my phone kept lighting up, and I'm like, "We're gonna talk about this tomorrow, woman." I, I for the love of God, that. I was like, "Oh my God, you're probably like." getting ready for bed and you're just like getting all these messages from me you're like but wait what about this <laughs> I'm, I'm like yeah got it we'll get there it's good it it's i get good. very excited about things <laughs> i am glad welcome to wherever you are my name is ryan mcneil in toronto canada and you are listening to episode 285 of the matinee cast it's a movie loving podcast of the matinee.ca your home for cinematic passion and perspective this week i got to do something special with the show i got to see the film up for discussion with the person i will be having the discussion with i know lots of other shows do that but it's sort of a rarity around these parts matter of fact the last time i got to do it for a full episode of this show was with today's guest so maybe there's a whole other podcast waiting for us in that format she is a clever writer whose work can be found at wiley writes and a, a dear friend um jolie featherstone is back on the show how are you Thank you so much. I really need you as my hype man. Your intros always make me feel so good about myself. Um, I am so good. I'm so glad that we got to see the film together yesterday. Um, and I feel so special that I was the last one to also have watched the film with you shortly before podcasting about it. Uh, there, there was one in between that we just kind of did as like a last ditch I need to get a show out and it wasn't even on a very good movie. It was just like, well, this is playing. Let's go see it and talk about it. And we'll, we'll call that the show. And I think the show was like 35 minutes long. It's one of my shortest shows ever. But if I put that one aside, like the last full episode where we really pull things apart was marriage story, which now feels like a million years ago, but really was just like two years and change. Um, and of course, you've been back since, so there's been lots of lots of discussion in between then and now. Um, the gods of movie scheduling are not making my life easy. So after getting back to the full episode last time, we're going back to the, the straight goods on this episode. I really do want to go through a summer of getting full episodes out there. So I do uh, appreciate everybody's patience, but sometimes turning these over real quick uh, is a bit of a challenge, and that's what I'm facing this weekend. So... Um, Jolie will answer more Know Your Enemy, and we'll talk about the other side when we get her back for another full episode. But today, we're just going to be talking about the straight goods. We are going to go right to the new slang, which is good, because we have shit to talk about. The new slang on episode 285 is men. Men is written and directed by Alex Garland. It stars Jesse Buckley and Rory Kinnear. Rory Kinnear and more Rory Kinnear. Men is about Harper, that's Jesse Buckley, a woman who is still processing her husband's death by suicide when she decides to steal away for a weekend in the countryside at a rented house. Once at the house, whose landlord is played by Rory Kinnear, strange things start to happen. First, Harper gets followed on a hike in the woods. Then a strange naked man appears on her lawn, as one does, I guess. And then the strange man tries to get into the house. From there, there are masked schoolboys and direct vicars and inept police people, all of whom seem to want to engage with Harper in ways she has no interest of doing and then shit gets really weird. There's a scene that's been used a lot in the marketing of this movie, one where we watch Harper at the lip of a tunnel call out a note which echoes. In the full scene, we watch her add layer after layer, and what begins as an echo soon becomes a melody. That's an apt metaphor for men, the film, not the gender. 
In one way, it could be considered an echo, one idea repeating over and over. And in other ways, one could see it as a song with melody, harmony, and structure. So, pop quiz hotshot for you was men, the film, not the gender. An echo, or was it a song? For me, it was a song. There's a lot to mull over. There's a lot to unpack. And very similar to the score of the film, which I adored, the visuals as well. There's even some interesting, you know, visuals and cinematography that kind of speaks to this like layering and shifting kind of almost like uh, we're seeing the story through a prism in ways. Um, so I would absolutely go with the song. Okay. For me, it was an echo. For me, there is a very clear and strong idea at the center of this movie that we're going to unpack as we go forward. Um, however, for me, the movie never seems to kind of get past the this is my thesis, you know, like I know it, it over and over and over, it, it states what its thesis is and I can hear right. it, you know, repeat over and over and over in that tunnel, but it never adds those extra notes that she does like the same, like, so, so she does her little ha and then she goes, you know, she kind of does a little ha ha ha. And she, she finds these wonderful little harmonies in that moment, watching Harper, who we learn very quickly is a musician, even though she tells uh, the landlord that she's not. Yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting. We watch her play with that with that thing. And I think that's what the movie wants to do. And I guess for you, it did that. But for me, it played more like the trailer. It played more like that one ha than, than the echoes. Um, so we didn't really actually get into this on the, on the walk away from the movie theater. What did you think of men... And I, I, yeah, I'm going to stop saying the movie, not the gender. <laughs> um, yeah, the, the gender would be, I think, a much longer episode. That, <laughs> that could be a whole series, yeah. More studies than me, but um, yeah. no, I, I personally really enjoyed it. It certainly is a challenging film, uh, clearly designed to make people sort of feel uncomfortable and, and question things. Um, I, I would certainly say the fellow audience members in the cinema with us, I really enjoyed hearing their reactions <laughs> as things were happening. I could hear a guy not quite gagging, but making some sort of grossed out sounds. Um, there was uh, some women who were laughing at certain scenes that uh, clearly they could relate to. I heard a lot of nervous laughter, kind of people that were sort of like, uh, where is this going? Did that just happen? <laughs> kind of um, responses. And I use the term enjoy loosely because certainly it is a film that is kind of meant to prod you and poke you in ways that maybe you you, you don't want to have been. Um, but yeah, I personally thought it was very ambitious. Um, and I mentioned to you after the film as well, I, I certainly feel like that was of the three films that Alex Garland has directed. Um, this is certainly, I feel, kind of more intense where we started with Ex Machina, which already was, you know, a, a really interesting film. But now looking back, it seems like it's now his most accessible film that he's directed. And now we're kind of coming here into men where it seems like he's trying to kind of push himself as a director. Mm -hmm. um, and I always, I always admire seeing that whether, you know, sometimes those ambitious projects hit the mark. Sometimes they miss it a little, sometimes they miss it by a lot, but I always admire and appreciate seeing filmmakers that kind of really go for their vision and try to push themselves. It's, it's interesting to me that you mentioned the communal experience and hearing people's reaction, because I know <laughs> thinking back, I was a little bit more vocal than I tend to be. I mentioned in my intro that um, Harper has an encounter with a stranger and turns out that the stranger is just some disturbed local naked man. We don't know why he's naked. We never learned that. We have no we, we have no idea who this person is or why he's naked besides sure. The first time we see him, he shows up just standing outside her window while her back is turned and she's on a call. And I I, I remember audibly saying in that moment, right. You know, <laughs> like or or, or I think I or if it wasn't right, I said great um it was great and yeah. i really loved that you said that <laughs> <laughs> i yeah I, I i'm not usually that guy to to be vocal maybe during tiff or something like that where people are a little bit more ramped up um or or i'm like surrounded with like-minded people but usually when i'm you know in, in a more 
in more mixed company. I try to stay a little bit more polite. The way that a lot of these scenes and a lot of these moments are set up and paid off, um, they are all designed uh, to be those creep factors of, you know, like the lights go off and the lights come back on and something that was there is no longer there. Mm-hmm. Uh, like the, the that, that kind of thing. Um, this movie does that over and over and over again, and, and usually to, to great execution. I'm in a weird place with this movie because it is gorgeous. This is a stunning visual film that takes place in, in you know, a part of the UK. Could just be quite lackadaisical and uninteresting and mundane, right? But it's shot in this very lush way. It's, it's very, very old world. Like he talks about the house, about how the house is 500 years old in places. That's the thing is that aside from her use of tech and the car, um, a lot of what happens in this movie could have happened 500 years ago. Maybe the lights, you know, because the lights are on a sensor. Maybe that's, that's, the, that's the only thing. A lot of this movie is very non-specific in terms of its setting. Right. But this movie has great ambitions in terms of what it wants to say. And we're going to tease that as we go along. Uh, and I don't know that it said it. And that's something for me that I'm having, I've been thinking about for a day now. And that's why we don't do these shows right after we see the movies as much fun <laughs> as that would be. Um, so, so that's going to be the thing that I'm going to want to kind of work on as we talk about, as, as we talk through it here. So right now I'm, I'm cooler than you for sure. Um, I can see how people would love it. I can also see how people would hate it. The one thing I will admit um, that you bring up is this movie, like love it or hate it. This movie is indelible. I, I hear you in the sense that there clearly is um, a, a thesis going on here, whether Alex Garland sort of hit the mark or in some cases maybe touched upon certain things, but it almost didn't quite go as far as nuanced as, as perhaps it could have. Um, but I think that the film certainly is um, a great starting point of a conversation. I think that, we're going to see a lot of young people having seen this film, perhaps young film students seeing this film. And I could see this, this film holding some weight with them and going forward this, this film or, or Garland's uh, filmography, I think we'll see him being listed or this film being listed as an inspiration to certain film students, or at least uh, something that stayed with them and, and, was highly considered when they uh, embarked on their career. It's just one of those films. um, And in terms of, as you said, it's sort of a film where people could either like it or really hate it. There was certainly a lot of audience members leaving the theater last night that I could tell were not too happy (laughs) with what they saw. And I think were kind of shocked by what they saw. Um, I got almost the sense of sort of a similar reaction to when I saw the film Mother, uh, by yeah. Darren Aronofsky, where it was some people just loved it. And it was similar in the sense that it is, it's dealing with certain similar themes and it, and it, it obviously does play with gender and um, religion and patriarchy um, and obviously like physical body horror as well. I could see men maybe not reaching quite that level of fervor that mother received, but I certainly could see how it would have a similar sort of polarizing reaction. I, you know, actually like we're not going to do a full other side. We are going to touch on movies. Like when we, when we get to the end of this of like possible companion viewings, but mother is very much cut Mm -hmm. from the same cloth. If somebody wanted to know, if somebody wanted to ask me, are they going to enjoy men or not? Uh, th- I would ask them, what did you think of Mother? Because if you enjoyed that movie, you'll probably enjoy this movie. If you hated that movie, you know, yeah. this, is, this, is, this is less bonkers than Mother is. Mother really goes crazy uh, in the run-up to its conclusion where it really goes off the rails. This stays very much on the track right. f- until you get to the final act. Not even the final act, but until you get to the, to the final chapter. Mm-hmm. Um, this, this movie stays very much on the track. Uh, whereas mother, you know, very quickly decides to go off the rails. Um, you know, you brought up Garland a little bit, so maybe that's an interesting place to start. Garland for me is an interesting topic in the way that a lot of younger, um, film fans already want to turn him into a brand. Um, you know, the same way that 
Denis Villeneuve is a brand and Christopher Nolan is a brand. Um, you know, people can probably spot the common thread that I'm talking about with these directors. Garland for me is an interesting story because he's one. I mean, I'm old enough that I remember him as an author because mm-hmm. uh, I first came to him with the beach mm-hmm. and his much lesser known second book, the Tesseract. Uh, and then he turned into a screenwriter and he's, he's written some fabulous movies. He wrote 28 days later. He wrote never let me go. Um, that's an adaptation. Um, he also wrote Danny Boyle sunshine, which is very similar to this movie mm-hmm. in that it stays on the rails for two thirds and then decides to, you know, find its own course. I don't know that I'm at the point where Alex Garland, I'm interested in him and I'm engaged with him, but I don't know that I'm at the point where he's a brand yet for me. I think we're getting very quick to coronate some of these artists, especially, you know, white boys. He always has interesting things to say, but he says them in ways that a lot of other people say them. Where are you at with Garland? I, I personally, he's one of those directors for me where if I hear he's working on something, I'm, I'm intrigued and I'll most likely make a point to seek it out. Um, Mm -hmm. I completely hear you on, um, you know, the, the A24 stands wanting to make him into a brand. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of other, uh, young white male directors. Um, but that being said, the work that I have seen, uh, you me- I love that you mentioned the beach as well, because he, when that, the beach was kind of coming out, I was, I remember, you know, the, the novel and the film, and there was so much fanfare around it. And he was kind of pegged as like the voice of Gen X, you know? Yeah. Um, and I kind of love that he's sort of uh, kept growing and evolving past that, in, you know, into from an author to a screenwriter to a filmmaker not in terms of uh, like upwards movement, but just exploring different mediums and exploring different stories and voices. It, I think it could have been, you know, not unheard of for him to sort of rested on his laurels, maybe had one or two other books and sort of called it quits, you know, and wrote off the coattails of being the voice of Gen X. <laughs> but right. he's sort of continued evolving and, and pushing himself further as an artist. So I appreciate that about him. I do find it interesting that a lot of his films, as you mentioned, um, really heavily kind of examine the sort of the the physical and almost like the the beauty and the grotesqueness of like flesh and bones, physical bodies and physical living Mm -hmm. in the context of a, you know, hyper digital, hyper, you know, tech dependent world. Um, I certainly found that with, uh, like you mentioned, Ex Machina and Annihilation. So this was a slight departure in a way. Like you said, it's it's the film is in such a way, I love that you mentioned that, it's sort of made to be timeless. Um, Jeffrey calls the house, or he says the house could be pre-Shakespeare, which I thought was a really funny line. Um, you know, maybe being of the Gen X uh, generation that he is, he's grown up in, in the world and seeing media and physically interacting with the world perhaps like pre you know everyone having a cell phone everyone being plugged in all the time to now we're on sort of unfortunately perhaps the other side of that yeah um one thing about him though that i found curious i really like garland as a as a as a writer as a director i'm always intrigued by what he does i'm sort of like unsure how i feel about him directing a movie called men and it's and what i knew of the storyline at the time i thought okay that's interesting um and i certainly found that the film last night almost um there were moments where i sort of thought hmm like i i kind of feel like maybe there were certain elements that weren't considered because he doesn't have the lived experience of of being a woman but at the same time certainly more towards the end it the film sort of shifted for me away from being focused on a woman's experience in this world and much more about almost like the 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 intergenerational trauma is not the correct word but the i would say the, the 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 trauma I guess, enforced on men due to patriarchy. There's so many things in that film that kind of speaks towards that. Um, So I started to see the, or for me anyways, I felt a bit of a shift. I'm like, okay, we're not necessarily watching a film from like, um, I don't think he's trying to slip into the role and being the the eyes and ears of 
uh, Harper were much more seeing him making some commentary in terms of like the the trauma and the abuse and the anger that kind of results um, when men are really really abused and oppressed under patriarchy. I um, want to come back to that because I do. I, I that that is something that I wanted to get into, and I'm happy that you brought that up. But I just I want to get to a couple things first. But yeah, we will right. definitely circle back to this. Um, well, there is so yeah, we we could be here for a while. Um, I do want to start though. Start with Jesse Buckley because. Mm-hmm. The opposite side of, um, you know, Alex Garland, where he is a brand where, you know, he makes and I go, although, you know, I do enjoy his work. I want to be, want to be clear about that, but he's mm-hmm. not an automatic, you know, here's my money kind of thing. Um, Jesse Buckley has very, very quickly become, here's my money, please take it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I first really became accustomed to her watching Wild Rose a mm-hmm. few years ago where she plays an aspiring country singer from Scotland. And since then I've kind of gone back and forth with her filmography and catching her in all sorts of films. Some of them very straightforward, some of them very strange and very cerebral. She makes this movie work, you know, for every spot that I think the movie may fail um, or may not have a clear thesis. She makes up those shortcomings, both with in terms of like what she takes from the script and what she brings in terms of her very presence. I'm the same way. I see Jesse Buckley in the cast, and I am also take my money, please. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I first uh, was introduced to her through a film called Beast. Um, I still and, haven't seen Beast. Oh, Thank you for reminding me. It came up. It awesome. came up in our Oscar podcast, and I still haven't tracked it down. Thank you for reminding me. Oh, well, I'm glad I could be of service. It is definitely <laughs> worth a watch. It is awesome. And the funny thing is that I wasn't aware of her prior to that, even though she was already known in the UK. Um, but I actually became aware of Beast when Sean and I were in Paris. There was posters all over the place for this film called Beast, and it was her and. Um, Oh my gosh! I'm Johnny so Flynn. Johnny Flynn. I was like, I'm, ter- I'm furious. That I forgot his name. Johnny Flynn, who I adored in uh, Love, Love Sick. Um, so when I saw him in a film, I thought, Oh, great! Like, good for him. I'm happy to see him getting uh, more work. And so I told Sean, Okay, if this movie comes to Toronto, we're going to see it. Uh, lo and behold, it comes to TIFF. We go to see it, and Sean was kind of not as sold on it. He's like, Oh, okay, we'll give it a try. Um, and we both ended up loving it talked about it for hours after the film um and i think that even beast could potentially be a good companion flick for um men uh but jesse buckley both sean and i were like we were just blown away we're like who is she like she's incredible and since then i've sort of followed her career and i love that you brought up wild rose because i think the year that wild rose yeah it was the year that wild rose came to tiff Jesse Buckley gave a free concert on Festival Street. Oh man, I, I missed it. I went into this knowing she is a beyond capable actress. I can see an Olivia Coleman type career for her. Mm-hmm. Um, and I certainly was not let down at all by her performance. No. And what I think what I like about her in this movie is I fully expected her to be to bring it mm-hmm. in the movie's loud moments, like, you know, in any moment where like where the, where the trauma is really being dialed up. And let's be honest, it happens a lot in this movie. I was not worried about what she would able to be, to bring in terms of that uh, trope um, mm-hmm. that we see in this kind of movie. What I was really drawn in by and what I continue to be drawn in by, by this actor's career is what she brings in those quiet moments is there's two scenes in this movie that jump out to me one where she is talking to um the vicar who she meets in this courtyard um and you know she's talking about the trauma uh that she has had to live with um since her her husband who she wanted to divorce pulled this terrible terrible move of manipulation and emotional blackmail of well if you leave i'm going to kill myself um you know which is which happens in the world you know like like it's it's a move that men do of course that 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 is just awful um you know and I'm, i'm saying this and i know that people listening of course know this um so i'm not spreading anything that we don't know um but um her 
her husband James, um, you know, when, when faced with wanting to leave, he says, "I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to kill myself if you leave," and she has to go through this conversation mm-hmm. of the, the, this really, really terrible conversation. And in that moment, like you can see her conflict written in her posture, written in her voice of, I want to leave. I want to get out. I don't want to be in this room one second longer than I have to, but I'm stuck because this asshole has now put me into a position of responsibility where I cannot just bolt because then he's going to kill himself. And the way that she plays that is incredible. Um, later on with the vicar, the vicar brings up, well, did you give him a chance to explain himself? Did you like, and, and just lays this absolute shit theology at her feet. And she, do, she doesn't really waste time getting away from that conversation. But in that moment as well, like you can see like the, the, you can kind of hear the record scratch in her head and the way that she plays that again is this very very coiled at first anger like she doesn't lash out all of this all of this all of this all of this is is all in her performance and it's just incredible to watch i love how you brought up just the physicality and and again not like the big loud moments which of course she all knocks out of the park but yeah the moments where the physicality is restrained because she, her character is in a scenario where she is threatened. She's mm-hmm. trapped, whether emotionally or physically. Yeah. Um, That's a good that, way of putting it actually. Yeah. The, the moment where you said where they're having the conversation, you can feel all the, those scenes with the room and the lighting, like that hot orange, yellow lighting. You can tell it's just like, you can feel the sweltering heat of tension in there and you know, she wants to get out. You can see the furrow in her brow and yet she's sort of walking this tightrope of like, I want to get out of here and I want to obviously assert that we need to end this relationship. But at the same time, she's sort of trying to navigate how do I walk this tightrope when someone is making very in like a very intense threat, which is, you know, quite abusive what he does, but it, as we know, it does happen. Um, and not only does he mention it, he he very specifically says, I will do this so that you have to live with it. And he does bring up, which I think is something that I wasn't anticipating about the film as much from the trailer, but he even brings theology into it and brings up, you know, the aspect of making an oath about, you know, marriage. You made a promise. Yeah, yeah. Promise. Um, we stood up in front of our families and you're going to have to live with this forever. Um, and you can, yeah, you just see that feeling of being trapped and trying to navigate this tight, tight rope walk on her face. And with the vicar, I love how you said it, it is a record scratch. It is sort of a moment where things play back and it's only at it's, I feel it was really only just before she has a conversation with the vicar where we get to see more of, of, the history and more of what happened previously. We kind of get bits and pieces in the lead up. And then during that scene in the church and with the conversation with the vicar is when we kind of get the bigger picture in a way. Um, well, it's crazy too, because at first he seems to be a port in the storm, right? Mm-hmm. Like he seems to understand anguish and trauma mm-hmm. and, and want to offer consolation you know, so it's so like we all kind of have that record scratch moment yeah. of, you know, yeah. like we're like, oh, we thought you were like being, a, you know, being a voice of God here. I don't think God is bringing this up. And it's just this, wait, what kind of moment? Even how his character is set up, it, I love that it kind of speaks to that nuance. He seems to be, as you said, like a port in the storm when that young boy is, you know, kind of antagonizing her yeah. uh, as teenage boys sometimes Often do. do. And teenage, and teenage <laughs> um, I, love, but, I love that you said sometimes do and I was like, often do. <laughs> <laughs> it, I, I laughed when she said, oh, I'm from London. I'm used to getting yelled at by teenagers. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he sort of comes off seeming rather empathetic. You know, he kind of tells that boy, look, she's told you politely she doesn't want to do this she not doesn't feel like it why don't you leave her alone all this stuff um he kind of sort of apologizes for the boy's behavior and seems empathetic because he says oh you know he's a troubled kid she feels safe enough to just start 
sharing her story with this person. And then it slowly kind of seeps into this very kind of not helpful way of thinking of, Oh, you must feel so guilty. Did you give him a chance to apologize? Oh, you must really be struggling with, did you lead him to it? And, you know, and it's sort of funny, just like personally watching that scene. I thought it was really interesting. We, I think every human on earth knows this. And, and certainly I would say like the experience that I've had as a woman, there's this kind of moment when you're in a conversation like that, where you're kind of making a social risk assessment where you're saying, Hey, this person is saying stuff that, you know, I really don't feel comfortable with, or this is getting to a place that's, I don't know. I I really don't feel safe or comfortable in the scenario. And you have to kind of make a risk assessment of, is it riskier to say, Hey, look, I'm, I'm done here and I'm leaving this conversation. I'm working out. Yeah. Or is that going to put you at more risk? Is the person going to fly off the handle? Is the person going to follow you? Is the person going to continue agitating you? You you know, you're for me anyways, you're always kind of making the social risk assessment. And sometimes the, where you land is, well, I'm just going to sit here and nod and smile and put up with it until I can peacefully walk away and know that this person isn't going to follow me or this person isn't going to keep calling me or what have you. And I could see that tension on her face at the beginning, but then she does kind of clearly, I, I guess her assessment was, Hey, you know what? No, <laughs> she gets up and says, no, no, no. Like it's time we're to done. go <laughs> and walks away. Uh, that's, that's something really apt that you bring up and, and really interesting because I think the one thing this movie, well, this movie does several things well, but one thing that it does especially well um, is the way it really instills the constant terror is a bit of a loaded word, but the constant danger and risk of seemingly simple activities. So uh, I am a person who, as a, for instance, likes to enjoy walking down the street or being on uh, a subway with headphones on and like closing off the outside world. It took me a while to understand that that is something I am privileged in my ability to do because a lot of my female friends and certainly my my wife have told me, can't do that. I need to be able to hear. I need to be able to be more aware because there is more of a threat or more of a, of a, of a risk to my just being in that space. And this movie, again and again and again, it's like – you know, puts you in a seemingly simple scenario of mm-hmm. a walk in the woods, mm-hmm. a, a, you know, an exploration of a church, a quiet drink in the pub. These things should be relatively safe. And yet every time this movie actually goes out of its way to tell the entire audience, male, female, you know, and non-specific, no, 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 this is a very, you know, male privileged scenario where this is not risky you know kind of like what you were saying in terms of how you assess the risk of you know can i do this or do i need to like endure this a little bit longer this movie very much puts us in the place of how much of this should i endure because it's actually pretty damn terrifying a very sort of clear illustration that they do of this that i i kind of I thought, oh, wow. I mean, I know a lot of people are going to see that and relate to it is when she leaves the pub. Um, and again, social risk assessment, you know, perhaps if I was in that situation, maybe I would have just kind of like laughed and nodded and gone along with it because, okay, there's like a bunch of people here that I don't know. They all know this village. Some of them do kind of seem to be looking at her kind of like, I don't know, sketchily. Yeah. <laughs> and it's sort of like, oh, do you just kind of nod and laugh, finish your drink and by you know leave on peaceful terms so that you don't assume on uh, take on any more potential risk well wait 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 sorry because i want to actually you bring up something really good what i love about that too is Mm -hmm. it's not like the pub is a seedy pub Mm -hmm. you know it's it's your typical british pub in a box right you know brass rails dark wood uh you know music playing people just sitting around nursing their beers it's not like she goes through like a really really you know, quote unquote, CD bar. So that's, yeah, you're right. So like, so when you say like, she has that risk assessment in that moment, mm-hmm. that's what I love about that too, is that to somebody just to the casual observer, right. or certainly to the 
non-threatened male observer. It's like, oh, it's an, it's a normal pup. But right. you're seeing it and you're like, no, 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 there's Rye, there's shit in this room that you're not catching that is also a potential spot of, you know, risk. I think that that was something that Garland did quite well. And of course, I think so much is said just by having Rory Kinnear play almost every male yeah. <laughs> character we see in the film. What really stood out to me, which I thought was quite a relatable moment, was when she decides to leave the pub. Again, that's that's a risk assessment made right there. I'd rather leave this pub than continue dealing with this BS. That, to me, is worth the risk of leaving right now in the dark in a town that I don't really know. Then on the walk, she's like sort of halfway through. She can see the house there. And she hears that sound coming out of the woods that we've obviously have now associated with that person who's been stalking her, person or entity that's been stalking her. And she kind of has a moment where she's like, looks back, do I go back to the pub where I know I just like, I know I'm not going to really love the company there and doesn't really feel like a very comfortable space. Or do I press on and hopefully that there's not someone in the woods who's been stalking me and I can get to the house in time that I can get in, lock the door and just have a peaceful night. That moment in and of itself, I think was something that a lot of, a lot of viewers will relate to. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just all the risk is every, every shot is a risk assessment essentially. And that one was obviously made very overt and was very obvious risk assessment, but it just does show you how there's so many other small, simple moments that are risk assessments. Like when she just walks into the pub and the camera does take the time to look and show you every occupant of that pub. And you can see, you know, you have the friendly faces, but then you also have these guys who are kind of like looking at her in a certain way, kind of seems like maybe they seem kind of rough. And that in itself is a risk assessment, you know? And yeah, I think every shot in that film is almost a risk assessment. Yeah, yeah, it, it is. It's it's the you know seems like a very pleasant, very happy, very zen little uh, you know wooded path. But you know, hey Ryan, that's your assessment of it. Right. Jolie might look at this path and say, "If I scream, nobody's going to hear this." Right. You know, and that's, I, I do appreciate that this film goes out of its way time and again to remind the, you know, somebody like me of the privilege I, I have, you know, in terms of being able to, you know, walk past windows and not have the blinds drawn, wondering who may be looking at me, that kind of, you know, just that very basic level of safety that is not my reality um you know like the safety is my reality but it is not for 50 percent of the population um what i also like about this movie is the way it goes out of its way to show the various ways that men can be harmful we were already talking about the toxic conversation that her husband brings up we were talking about you know the 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 really terrible theology conversation that the vicar brings up that may seem to be helpful in a way of reframing a conversation, but is not to a complete stranger who you do not know. Mm -hmm. You know, um, this film over and over and over is, let us be clear, rightfully so, of the various ways that men can be useless, whether it's trying to be gallant when it's really, you know, not welcomed or called for, or you know, being aggressive in a way that seems like it's funny, but it, it's not. Um, I, you know, that's that's the one thing I got to admit that this movie nails over and over is just the various ways that men can be shitty. There were some things that I was kind of questioning in terms of the fact that we have again, you know, these scenes. For example, Jeffrey outside when he wants to be gallant and he says. Oh, my father told me I have the makings of a failed military man. I was only seven years old. And then with minutes later, we see Jeffrey or, you know, who we presume to be Jeffrey, like, <laughs> like feverishly running her down on the road. I just think there's so much to be said there again about, you know, here's someone, Jeffrey, who seems to be, you know, at least someone very well-intentioned, someone who seems, you know, uh, good-hearted and kind-spirited. 
but because he himself has suffered so much within this patriarchal structure, as obviously harboring a lot of baggage from that, a lot of pain from that, per se. Yeah, but I mean, I think what what gets me at this point in history is we know this, right? And we know that it's taught, and we know that it's 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 baggage that we're bringing, and 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 you know, it, I feel like we're we're getting to the point where Dutch, it's like, okay, got it. I'm not going to judge you too harshly because of that, but you still owe it to everybody else, including yourself, to be better and rise above that. You know, I, I think that that's that's the thing about this movie is it continues to want um, the, the 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 men of this world to rise above and to not play the game, to not lay their baggage at her feet, whatever it happens to be, to not actually terrorize her or emotionally terrorize her, and it, and it just none of them can. Um, which brings me back to Alex Garland. And and how he was the one to tell this to tell the story, and this is kind of the key question that I've been wrestling with for the last day is um, because I don't think he sticks the landing, which we will talk about in a spoiler section in a minute. Um, is he the one to be telling this story? Um, you brought up how he can only go so far with this because it's not his lived-in experience. And I do appreciate men telling stories that are not strictly about men and their privilege, um, you know, and, and getting out of that that box because God knows we have enough of those stories. But what would this film have been? I mean, the short answer is different, Ryan. Um, <laughs> but what would this film have been if Lynn Ramsey? had have told it or mm-hmm. Chloe Ja had have told it or Catherine Bigelow had have told it or Ava DuVernay or Dee Reese or, or, you know, any, uh, any woman behind the camera. First off, I would love to see a Dee Reese or a Lynn Ramsey exploration of this story. Oh yeah. Just first yeah, of all. Yeah, totally. Um, but I, I agree. I think for me, what changed or what I could, what what I was sort of intaking was I, I quite grappled with that for the first half of the film or no, not, not even the first half, basically all the way up until we sort of have the, I don't even know what the correct term is. It seems like a very biblical or like spiritual sort of moment where the man, the, we don't, I don't think ever find out his real name, but the naked man comes and he has adorned himself in the style of that um, Christian, I don't know, figure, Christian yeah. that we see in the church. He's adorned himself in that way and, you know, seemingly sort of brings her into this world or, you know, kind of unleashes some sort of change, sea change. You're, yeah, you, so you're talking about the end, which we will talk about in a minute. But but I'm talking like that 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 kind of takes the film in a whole other direction. Yes. Right? Like that's where the film gets very metaphorical and fantastical and flat out weird. But yes. even before that, yeah. right? Like in those in that first, it's a hundred minutes. Yeah. In that first eighty minutes, is Alex Garland the one to be telling that story? So and and, and for me, that's why that scene is so pivotal from not only just from like a plot and storytelling standpoint. But also as a viewer, because up until that point, I was kind of like, you know what? Yeah, I'm not sure how, you know, I feel about, um, you know, like a cis male director telling this story. Mm -hmm. I feel personally kind of tired seeing people, and this goes not just for gender, but for race, for ability, for age. I'm kind of tired of seeing people who are not of the communities that they are portraying um, directing the films and not including people of the community, at least in the writing process. And yeah. process. Yeah. I don't know how much Alex Garland did, but he is listed as the writer and director. Um, so basically the first, or the majority of the film, I was kind of wondering, okay, you know, I am kind of questioning how I feel about this, but so far I think he's doing, you know, a decent job of course i think there's always just that there's that 20 percent that 
he might not ever be able to capture. Yeah. Not for lack of trying, not for lack of research yeah, or, yeah. or emphasizing, but there's just a 20% he may not ever be able yeah, to Yeah, he's clearly interested, and I do applaud him for tell, for trying. You know, yeah. but it's it's like at, at a certain point, like, like you said at the beginning of this podcast, there's only so much you can tell because it's not your limited experience. Yes. Um, maybe that's why we get the ending we do. Uh, I don't know, but we have to talk about that. So, um, before we jump further yes, into please. the ending, I just want to say like that sea change moment that leads us into that kind of like fast and furious last like 20 minutes of the film. That's those 20 minutes is what kind of changed my perspective of him. Okay. Okay. Because I, and I sort of touched on it earlier, but what I felt was up until then, I was sort of almost automatically taking the film from like, oh, you know, Alex Garland, you know, is sort of embedding himself in the eyes and ears of, of a female lead character, uh, Harper. But then those last Fast and Furious 20 minutes, it very much seemed less about him approaching it, using her perspective. It was almost more the author of the story to me became removed. It wasn't so much Harper was sort of like the author of the story anymore. It was very much, Oh no, no, no. We are now seeing it almost from a third party perspective who is trying to be very aware and very critical of the sort of cycle of male trauma, male anger due to living in this patriarchal society. So those 20 minutes shifted my perspective. Okay. So here's what we are going to do because we are going to talk about the end of this movie and there's ordinarily this show is spoiler free. So I am going to give people a chance to tap out. We will kind of wrap here uh, and um, start with our souvenir, something tangible or intangible. If you could take away from this movie and keep, you would. Um, Julie Featherstone, what would be your souvenir from Alex Garland's end? This was actually a very tough question. Um, for me, I would say I would take the dress, the one that she wears at the end of the film, the pinkish dress. That's cool. Um, okay. Up until that point, the, her style, her manner of dress is very, very different. Yep. Um, on a personal note, I did like her outfits previously too, but <laughs> that obviously is a big symbolic shift in right. her character and how we see her. So I would take the dress. I think what I want is this movie has her in this country house it has a really deep soaker tub. Mm, I'm like that. Yeah. I, I would really like that. You know, and he mentions like how it's a really good soak for after a long walk. And I'm, I'm you know, after today, after doing a lot of work, like around the apartment the last few days, I'm actually kind of sore. I could use a good deep soak. So that's what I am. Nice. What I would. Um, you know, so we, we rate here on the matinee cast on a scale of one to four stars. We still haven't got into what we think of the conclusion of this movie. I kind of think people can kind of see how we're going with this, but um, Jolie, what would you give Alex Garland's men on a scale of one to four? I'm going to go with a three myself. Okay. I am somewhere in between a two and a half and a three. I'm going to give, I'm going to round up to a three because at the very, very least, I think it is a beautiful mess. I still think it's a mess, but I think it's a really, really interesting mess. It's given me a lot to chew on and a lot that's going to stick with me. Um, but it's one that I'm very, very cagey on that I'm being generous to get up to a three. Obviously you're much more of a warmer three. Um, you know, we both agree that people should see this and make their minds up for themselves. So we are going to have a bit of a spoiler section right now. We are going to talk about the very end of this movie. So uh, turn back, ye who uh, just turn back if you don't want to be spoiled. And uh, we are going to talk about the ending of Men right after this. Okay, so as if things weren't weird enough, uh, you know, the first 80 minutes of this movie with everybody looking like Rory Kinnear and with the weird naked man and with everything, we get into the end of this movie and this presence that's been stalking Harper, this whole movie, starts to... Manifest itself over and over in in recreating every man that she has had an encounter with, and we are very clearly put into this position of whatever or whatever this is, it is not different people. It is this one manifestation of danger that seems to take many forms. Um, so that in itself is weird and may work or may not work depending on your take. 
Um, I don't know that this movie explains that well enough because it doesn't go full bore supernatural. It doesn't, you know, commit to the paranormal of this is a demon or this is a ghost or this is whatever it happens to be. It just kind of lays its feet on the, this is weird. Mm -hmm. Then (laughs) in the moment that really tested our crowd, um, the presence decides to have this cycle of giving birth Mm-hmm. to each of its manifestations um over and over and over and over okay this is the point where the movie is a test <laughs> i didn't dislike that but i don't know if i'm sold on that whole thing obviously you know that there has been a lot of psychological thought and 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 a study of a lot of why men are the way they are is because either we are jealous that we cannot give birth or we just do not understand um, the value of life because we don't carry it within our person. Um, maybe that's what Alex Garland is trying to ta- ta- tap on. I don't know. How did all of that cacophony play for you? <laughs> oh, I love that word. Um for me, the way that I interpreted it was more so just, uh, you know, as we talked about, kind of like those that cyclical nature and that intergenerational nature of, for lack of a better word, like abuse and oppression that men experience at the feet of patriarchy. And it's just sort of, I th- and I thought it was very, um, illus- that again, I'll go back to that quote, but I thought it was so illustrative with Jeffrey when he said, oh, you know, his dad made this comment about him, which is so steeped in, in manipulating his son to feel like a failure and to feel bad and to feel ashamed of himself at seven years old. And how does that manifest? It manifests in someone who, clearly, you know, is good hearted, is a good hearted person, um, but clearly has some, you know, unresolved pain, has some unresolved hurt, has some unresolved anger. And this just gives birth to itself over and over and over in life, you know, um, and not just men, you know, women experience this too, like, again, um, intergenerational trauma, if you're your environment growing up is one in which you are made to feel a certain way and that cycle continues, um, it's very hard to kind of break out of that cycle and hard to break out of that way of thinking and hard to let go and heal from the, that kind of hurt. So for me, that's kind of how I interpreted it. Um, I hear you about the supernatural aspect. I, I think that for me was something, um, again, that maybe possibly why I may, maybe gave it a, a slightly higher rating was I was intrigued by how they touched upon religion and the role that religion has played in this kind of patriarchal world. And the kind, again, the kind of mindset that comes out of it, you know, where we have with the, the mindset that the vicar has towards her is the same mindset the police officer has towards her is the same mindset that the teenage boy has towards her. Mm -hmm. It's, I, I was quite intrigued by this, again, like these shifting prism like shades of is this supernatural? Is this completely all just sim like symbols and metaphor? Um, you know, is this theology? Is this a criticism of patriarchy? I that's something that I really enjoyed like playing with this or like mentally playing with this film. So I think that's why I might have bumped it up higher. Like you, I agree that it wasn't necessarily consistent in that. Um, <laughs> so again, I I I feel like we're very much on the same page, um, but I definitely admire Garland for pushing himself to go there, you know? Yeah. I mean, uh, like points for points for it, not just being a ghost or a Mm -hmm. demon or, you know, if it is like, it seems to want to all tie itself back to James. It seems to want to all come back to her, her dead husband, because I mean, that is the final uh, entity that is reborn out of this daisy chain of men giving birth to other men, which is so bloody strange to say, <laughs> even more strange to see. 
it all eventually culminates with James and him being reborn out of all of these other shitty men who she has an encounter with. And maybe there is a metaphor there that is just so literal that I'm not picking up on it. Um, that is the moment where, I mean, Garland now in two straight movies has decided to get really, really weird in the final mm-hmm. scene. When, when you are playing that hand, um, you're resting the entire effect. Like you brought up Mother earlier. Uh, Darren Aronofsky bet all of Mother on that last Bananas 30 minutes where he just starts throwing the kitchen sink mm-hmm. at you and basically dares you to tap out. Yeah. Um, that's, what Garland, that's what Garland has done twice now with, with Annihilation. And now with this movie is he hasn't quite thrown the kitchen sink because he's picked kind of one move, you know, right. instead of just throwing move after move after move at you. Right. But where Annihilation was at the very least one contained bit of strangeness. Right. And, you know, you do the work in terms of what I'm trying to say. This one seems like it's this little collection of yeah. strangeness of the men are giving birth to other men and they're all the men that have made her life miserable for the last hundred minutes. And it's all going to lead back to this one guy who made life especially miserable and you figure it out. But this is the thing is at this point, you know, having this conversation, I like the movie despite this part that I don't necessarily feel adds up. Obviously you're much more warm on it than I am. I wanted to love it because instead of despite, Right, right, right. No, that that's completely fair. And actually, something you said kind of makes me think about a comparison that I can have to another filmmaker where, so for example, if we're looking at Garland in the last kind of strange bit of Annihilation versus the last, say, 20 minutes of um, Men, I actually found the last 20 minutes of Annihilation way more, to me, disturbing mm-hmm. than uh, men mm-hmm. to me that scene annihilation still kind of like unsettles me um which i mean i love the movie again because of it yeah. uh, but that felt very um like you said contained i agree it felt very consistent with everything it it really did make sense it felt very much a part of something whereas with men i agree it that I could see that as a strength, but I could also see that as a bit of its own, like kind of undoing that there are so many different things going on. It's like this collection of things, none being completely consistent and, you know, kind of being a part or tying up the, 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 the whole of the movie. Um, I I think again, what I, what I do at the very least appreciate about these kinds of movies is it's a noble attempt. You know, Mm -hmm. it's not, a cookie cutter formula type of movie that a big studio would make. Um, I would rather pick through the mess and sift through it and look at it again and again and again and again and, and see how the light refracts for me this time. than I would just, you know, get what I get on the first viewing, whether it's midsummer or whether it's men or whether it's, you know, we talked about, um, the Northman a couple episodes ago, which is much more of a linear movie, but still seems a little spotty sometimes. Um, I would rather spend my time with some of these movies that are, you know, um, rustic in their execution and, and don't quite have everything nailed down. Um, you know, even, even in this moment of a metaphor that I'm not sure I completely grasp <laughs> um, and that we obviously have different uh, you know, points of view on. Um, I would rather stay with that metaphor for a while um, and, and, and talk about it with other people than I would just have the very clearly drawn pattern of, you know, uh, whatever it happens to be that's in a much more linear movie. You know, we do usually wrap at this point with um, the other side. Was there, we've talked about a lot of other movies in the course of this conversation, but was there a movie that you thought could make an interesting companion movie to this um, as, as, a, as a go-to? Mother, for sure, right off the bat, I think is a, a great companion piece um, thematically. Two other films that I think 
would be of interest for someone who, even if you didn't enjoy men per se, because I don't know if it's meant to be enjoyed, but if you appreciated it, I think um, two films that kind of came to mind for me when I was mulling over and also trying not to text you too much after the film <laughs> was um, Near miss. In Fabric. Um, so I'm wow sure yeah yeah okay and fabric came to mind as well as um a horror film it's a horror film it deals um also with i want to say like religion religion and gender called saint maud um, love that movie so much okay that movie is what i want this movie to be rose glass who directed saint maud I yes. would give my left arm or maybe my right arm for her to direct men. I would right. love to see what she would come away with from men. Alex Garland, if you want to write this, go ahead and write this. But yeah. I want Rose Glass to add to the vision because I think that she is going to have much more of, like you say, a lived-in experience and be able to – extend some of those allegories that you're trying to make. Like you're already, uh, as I mentioned earlier on painting the danger in a walk in the woods or a quiet drink in the pub. Rose glass is going to not just paint in the danger, but she will, you know, paint it all over you until you're basically dripping with the yeah. paint of the danger. Um, yeah. St. Maud, if people have never seen St. Maud, Oh, Please see that movie. It is I so good. It to yeah, so many it is. It was so underseen. It. <laughs> yeah, it came out. It played TIFF in. Um, it played TIFF in 2019. It was kind of a 2020 movie and kind of got lost in the shuffle of the yes. pandemic. I think it went on demand because uh, yeah. they didn't want to just like leave it on a shelf. Um, so it didn't really get proper play and conversation. Um, yeah. Oh, oh, such a good movie. Uh, good. God damn. Um, okay. So, so I, I'm glad that you also appreciate that one too. Cause I also felt it sort of didn't get its due because it was sort of lost in the shuffle in 2020. Um, and it's again, it's not like an overt say mother would be to men, but there's so much there sort of quietly there in St. Maud mm -hmm. where the, the dread is sort of crackling under the surface. Yeah. And the whole entire time, you know, that, this is not going to end well. Nope. Um, and, you know, you, you get such an interesting perspective of gender and religion. Um, and you have those two different perspectives on it from two different women in that film. So yes. I hope that people will watch it and uh, maybe use it as their double feature with men. Who knows? And actually, that movie ends incredibly. That is yeah. one of my favorite endings of Ooh, any movie ever. Oh, oh yes. Love <laughs> it so much. Yes, please. And thank you. Um, my two other sides, I went a little bit older with mine. Um, so the one that I came up with was um, both of mine are kind of uh, different sides of the same thing. So the first one that I came up with was the, the home invasion and terror angle. I went back to... Uh, the old Audrey Hepburn movie, Wait Until Dark. Have you ever seen that? Right. right. I've never seen that one, but I, I know. It's I, so freaky. I know the general plot, but I've yeah. never seen it. Yeah, it's so freaky. What I love in that movie is Hepburn not playing capital A, capital H, Audrey Hepburn mm -hmm. that we've come to know as this, like the style icon mm -hmm. and the, the, you know, the kind of like original, one of the original manic pixie dream girls. When you count her portrayal of Holly Golightly, she's mm -hmm. playing somebody um, much more grounded, much that, that you would have met in real life and who is put into a very, very precarious position. Um, yeah. Definitely um, a really, really interesting oh, portrayal by her. Watch, yeah. And, and, and has held up very, very well. The other one, so I kind of got into the gothic horror. Mm. Uh, sorry, not the gothic horror. I got into the, um, yeah, the gothic horror element of men in the way that it uses the house. Because mm. in all gothic horror and gothic romance stories, um, you know, the key component is the house and the metaphor mm. that the house uh, represents. Um, I went back to. Notorious by Alfred Hitchcock mm -hmm. with Ingrid Bergman. Um, mm -hmm. You know, that one, it's got like the, the, the huge house that she's in for quite some time. There's a metaphor like in, in men, 
the there's the key that keeps coming up like that that old-fashioned kind of skeleton key there's a key that comes up in notorious key is another one of those central metaphors that -hmm. comes up over and over in these gothic romance stories like um you know jane Eyre, uh more recently more recently crimson peak you know Mm -hmm. always a great big house standing in as a metaphor um yeah notorious if people haven't seen it i know that people when it comes to hitchcock like to kind of come back to vertigo psycho Mm -hmm. the birds like they they always love to come back to those kind of same bunch um there's a lot more to hitchcock than just that universal era that he was in and notorious is one of the ones that's in conversation for one of his best and would make a great companion piece um as as a gothic uh tale for sure um yeah you gotta watch them there we go that is episode 285 of the matinee cast i'm so thankful that joe lee was able to come by and uh watch this movie with me and uh, and talk about it a day after um come on back on monday june 6th for episode 286 i'm not sure what we're going to talk about yet but um that is going to be my birthday episode which means we will be discussing one of my older favorite movies. So if you're not the kind of person who can always keep up with the new releases, this one will be for you. We'll, we'll find something that you can easily find. Um, Jolie still writes at Wiley writes. Are you, you got anything coming up that you want to plug or just look for stuff? Just keep an eye out. I'm gotcha. sure I'll have something coming up soon. Cool. <laughs> or at least I hope. <laughs> and if people want to follow you on Twitter, where can they find you? They can find me at TO Film Files. Very nice. My site is thematinee.ca. You can find the show um, in all of the regular places Spotify, Podcast, Google, Stitcher Radio, Apple, uh, along with some new places Tune in, Radio Public, Castbox, Podchaser, and Blueberry. Everything gives you handy ways to subscribe for free and get alerts when new episodes drop. If you use a podcast platform of choice that I have not mentioned, let me know. I can put it there. It's real simple. Feedback on men the film not the gender can be left in the comment section you know what leave it if you want to leave it on the gender too go ahead <laughs> leave it in the comment section of the site you can email ryan at the matinee.ca on twitter i am matinee underscore ca and there's always facebook facebook.com slash dark matinee any final thoughts miss featherstone no other than i think you're just opened your comments to pandora's box by uh, <laughs> bring it <laughs> Bring it on. For Joe Lee, I am Ryan. We'll see you at the matinee.